Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to New Human Living Radio Show, bringing you powerful interviews to awaken the power in you. Learn more at newhumanliving.com. And now your host, Les Jensen. Hello, and welcome to the show tonight. I'm so glad you chose to join us. I think we're in for a delight tonight. The, the, top, the title of the show is Practical Enlightenment, and our guest is Pamela Erland. We're going to bring Pamela on in just a minute, but I like the idea of the show topic, which she chose, Practical Enlightenment. We can think of enlightenment as some monk in a cage high in the Himalaya mountains meditating, glowing in the dark, and certainly the the power of a single persona, a single human being raising their consciousness to ever higher levels automatically influences the rest of consciousness because of the holographic nature of, of human consciousness. But practical enlightenment, everyday enlightenment, st- stuck in traffic enlightenment, if you will, it... it I, I think a lot of times the spiritual journey can be kind of a back and forth, in and out kind of thing where you you stop your busy day and perhaps you have a meditation practice or and and you take pause and you tune inside and go into that stillness, that quietness. And then after that episode, you turn around and re-engage life and go out into the chaos, into the busyness, into the um, hustle-bustle, if you will, of of being a human being living on this planet. Practical enlightenment perhaps is the new age enlightenment in that many, many humans on this planet have either already awakened to their enlightenment or they will over the course of time and so I think this this topic is very timely. Pamela and I could not um, arrange a live recording, so this episode is a was recorded um, not too long ago, and I think you're going to really enjoy this. Uh, Pamela is really cut from some very fine fabric through, I'm sure, through a lot of personal discipline of her own. And I think we should get to the episode because I think you're going to really enjoy it. Pamela Erlin is a God-realized mystic and avatar of grace. Having been personally guided by Sri Ramana Maharshi, Jesus, and other God-realized masters since the age of five, she has deepened her devoted practice and, and has been preened as a highly sensitive guru of profound compassion and grace. After 38 years of devoted practice, including the initi- initiation into elemental shamanism, the ancient focus of pranic meditation, mastery of source tones and mantra, she was proclaimed Avatar of Grace and Guru by her Master and Spirit, Sri Ramana Maharshi. Through her love, loving offering of practical enlightenment, she offers satsangs, mentorships, and live events to busy working parents, laborers, entrepreneurs, students, and devotees from all spiritual backgrounds. Pamela shares her insights gleaned from many years of devoted practice as a working wife and mother because she is aware of that a continued consistent practice must be efficient, practical, and as, as easy and apparent as grace itself. Grace is a gift that we already are. Whether you are a beginner or an adept, Whether you have three minutes or three hours available for daily practice, time or experience is not of the essence. It's the quality of your devotion 
that produces results. Join me in enjoying this wonderful episode as we get to the interview. And welcome to the show, Pamela. Thank you for having me, Les. You know, the the topic, Practical Enlightenment, um, it almost seems like an oxymoron. Because uh, enlightenment, I mean, sometimes we imagine the the guru sitting in some flipping cage somewhere, glowing in the dark, cave somewhere, glowing in the dark, or uh, um, somebody in a deep trance meditation. But mm-hmm. practical doesn't fit either one of those uh, scenarios. Um, what what brought you to the uh, the point of looking at practical enlightenment? Well, put it simply, I stopped looking at it and I became it. There are many things that lead towards enlightenment and I tried the classical way. You know, um, I was born with many spiritual gifts and many more opened up around age five and throughout the course of my experience of attempting to reach something, it didn't work that way for me. I have a living master. I have a master in spirit, uh, Sri Ramana Maharshi. I have many other masters who've taught me many things. And what I realized is that um, for me personally, in my experience, it wasn't the whole nature of a lengthy, drawn-out process. It was the nature of my heart commitment and how serious I was in my pursuit of God. And I realized that it's nowhere to go. It's nothing to ascend towards. It's not an attainment. It's a matter of realizing the simplicity of what already is. And when this occurred for me, I realized, oh, my goodness, if I can do this as a working mother of four, you know, if I can do this as a busy business owner, um, if I, as, um, I don't want to say I'm normal because I'm anything but, yet my (laughs) life on the external (laughs) appears that way when you see me on the street, um, with the exception of all the white that I wear these days, I look like a relatively normal person. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, the um, I, I like that the the idea that um, to have a functional life while embodying enlightenment, to be out and about while embodying enlightenment, and and I, you know, perhaps that's the. The, the new paradigm for humanity, if you will. I mean, just to take a quick glance at like maybe Eastern mythology through Western eyes, the, the guru is um, sitting in a cave or an ashram or something. <laughs> and then the followers come to them and they just sit there and and they spew this, this field of unconditional love. Well, um, there's the mechanics of living, like uh, chopping the wood and hauling the water, and uh, may- maybe the 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 new paradigm for this next chapter of our human story is to be, to just be in that enlightenment, and then play the guitar, and then you know. Um, design a dress or mm-hmm. or whatever the impulse comes from within you it it's a so when when you talk about enlightenment i mean that's kind of a um, there's several different flavors of what people might say what that is. How would you describe enlightenment Enlightenment is simply the process of realizing that you are it. You are everything that you have been seeking, and the seeking stops the observation, the learning to that extent, and you understand that when you are going about your life on this earth, that you are creating in joy. Enlightenment is not a matter of ego death. Nothing is to be killed. Um, What I've experienced is that, that the ego is beautiful and creative and is to be integrated, and if oneness is true, then how can God not be in everything, including your ego, including your body? This is not death of anything. This is life. So you chop wood and you haul water all the time, before, during, and after. <laughs> well, I like that. Well, the 
I mean, the Ego's really handy to drive the car and, and uh, you know, um, kind of um, fulfill the, the mechanics, if you will, of the 3D end of things. It's, you know, when I, when I noodle the nature of the divine, um, so often people pray to God like, uh, God with a big G, like, you know, holy cow, um, He's up there with this big-ass master plan, and he's got, you know, condos planned just outside of town and blah, 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 where where, where God with a big G has some kind of a, a, a template or a frame out of a movie that portrays, quote, his intention of humanity. But I don't get that. I get that. God's desire shows up within each of us as our own desire. I mean, what God intends for the future of humanity doesn't come down from on high like some some IMAX glorious presentation, but rather the impulse of our own of our own divinity, if you will. What do you think about that? Well, in one sense, the whole concept of bowing in a way that you are subject, you are weaker than, you are less powerful than. That's not even what Jesus came here to teach. And I do channel him regularly as a mystic in the channel. One of the first things that he said to me was, you are God. You are my child. I am your father. And what that means is that we are fractals of each other's nature. I come as you. You come as me. We, and not just me. We, he means everyone. Sure. We are one. So, um, you know, the whole thing that you said about chopping wood and carrying water, um, Jesus did a lot of that, and he was also a rebel. And it was interesting enough because he um, did not want to uh, give his power away and bow in that way, say, to the Roman Catholic Empire. Sure. Um, and he also um, taught that when you're God, you can bow before everything. God is humble, um, and humility uh, is, is a, a matter of expressing a blessing and really being in peace. You know, it's not a matter of uh, bowing because you're losing your power, but I bow before flowers. I bow before children. Um, I bow before my masters. Um, but I do not bow before religion because, um, according to all the ascended masters and angelics that I've channeled, religion is insane. <laughs> sure, yeah. Well, um, Jesus really strikes me as somebody who's got a sense of humor. I mean, I don't know, I don't know yes. what I can put my finger on that makes me feel that. But um, every time I I, I kind of tune into his vibe, I've, I um, I wouldn't say I've I've got a wide bandwidth to the other side of the veil. But every time I kind of because I'll write books and and I'll talk about Jesus and all that, and I'm like, eh, am I full of crap here or whatnot? And I get smiles. <laughs> I get smiles, and uh, you know, and uh, so that's a curious thing. Well, you mentioned he, he is the father, and you are the child. Um, if we're both points in a hologram, couldn't those titles be swapped? Absolutely. And when we realize that we are those masters, that is the true nature of the inner guru that he represents. This is why I don't really enjoy or use the word guru. You know, the word that he gave for me and my title on this earth is avatar. And the mission is connection so that we understand oneness. The true guru's notion is to bring out the master and the student. So when I bow before Jesus, um, what he says to me is, um, please also bow before yourself. You're bowing before me and you and everyone. <laughs> sure. Well, I like that. You know, um, now Jesus said that, well, damn, come on, belly up to the bar. Y'all are going to do everything I've done and more. I mean, it's, imagine walking into a room and expecting to heal the people or, or Damn it, we're out of fish, you know. Fump, and there's there's a couple of dumpsters full of fish, lickety split. In 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 other words, uh, it it seems like the uh, the re religious dogma kind of kind of skewed the whole power thing when they said, well, there's this big ass God, and 
and <laughs> and and if we all you know cower, not even bow, but cower before him so he doesn't fry our ass, um, <laughs> maybe just maybe um, he'll do do us a favor in some future date. But it it seems like. Uh, we're the ones. We're the, especially in this chapter of humanity. I mean, the 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 water level of consciousness is rising, and it's raising all the souls. That we should claim our power. It's it's okay for us to be powerful. Maybe in past lives we had a kind of a psychosis factor when we played the power <laughs> card with some of the stigma of the 3D crap, but. I don't get a sense that that's going to play out like it did in the past. What do you think? Well, how far past do you want to go back? Are we talking Atlantis, Lemuria past? Or are we talking ancient Egypt? No matter how far you go back, you'll notice that there was this power over, power under paradigm that actually wasn't created by God. Sure. You know, in A Course in Miracles, it states God knows nothing of this world that it is the sons and daughters, the children of God that are dreaming, and God loves us enough to dream until we realize that we are also him, her, it, whatever. God is pretty genderless right. uh, from my perspective. Um, but, yeah, humans created the disaster that is Earth, and it is the heart. God is in the heart, and that's what needs to shift. And we're now here for equality. We're now here for peace. We're not here to have another power over, power under situation, um, and to continue to do that. That's not what we're here in this era. That's not what this uh, enlightenment, ascension, whatever word you want to use for it, experience is about. Sure. And kind of dissolve the uh, the posturing of of, of priority and, and kind of a social structure slash stigma that said, you know, because... Um, like you, we like you have been commenting about. Well, you, you bow to the children. You bow to the flower. It's, I mean, if we're in a hologram of God consciousness, I mean, even the profane becomes sacred at some point, as Rumi had said. That even the even um, to forget who we are enough to immerse in pain and suffering for eons of time um, and then to turn around and come out of that and 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 peel away the the pain of the past and look with virgin eyes at the at who we are it's it's really a there's a lot that needs to get turned on its head i mean so so what would you what would you say to humanity, I know that's a very broad question, but I mean, if you were to think of a few core elements that would really help humanity kind of um, move through the squabble instead of quagmiring in it, what would you say are some of the key elements of our transformation? Recognize what God is in you and for you. See God in everything and everyone. God bows to innocence. God is grace. And God is quiet, subtle, and still. And when you are receptive to grace, then it is very transformative. And then the enlightenment becomes grace in motion. The first thing that I would say is to take an honest assessment of your judgments. The frequency of shame is the biggest deterrent to enlightenment, you know, to any realization. Shame is the lowest emotional frequency on this planet. <laughs> sure. We are here to master emotions. The first thing I would say to do is to master your body because it's hard. The mind, if you go there, the mind is tricky. You know, ego is tricky, and while we're not here to eliminate it, because the ego does make an excellent servant to the heart, it does not make a very good master. Right. Therefore, we need to get our egos in check by tapping into the heart. And that starts with breath. That starts with mastery of body, you know, meditation. If even 20 minutes a day, if you have time to get up and reconnect to God via your breath, before your head gets a chance to even get going, because like I said, the head is incredibly tricky. 
So before the head starts in with, oh, i got to do this at work today, and, you know, I didn't do that, and <laughs> uh, before any of that starts, you know, I didn't pay the landscaper today, whatever it is you're thinking about, um, you know, we have a lot of what I call first world problems, you know, here here in the uh, the western part of the country. <laughs> right, yeah. <clears throat> and quite frankly, um, it's not really a matter of that in the east. There's so much going on that people are used to, and they're used to being present, connected, and uniting with each other to get rid of some very big traumas and disasters, and they do it by unity, innocence, and they're not focused on their heads all the time, with their point of focus always being um, their their own thoughts. Americans place a lot of focus on their thoughts. (laughs) So when thoughts stop, shame stops too. So if shame stops, judgment stops. If judgment stops, attachment stops. If attachment stops, then you can see, know, and realize that you are God. Right. Those attachments, uh, they can tie into the ego in the sense of uh, attached to a sense of self or a sense of purpose or a sense of... I, I, from my perspective, it seems like um, freedom, the freedom of the persona, and I want to use really sterile language, the freedom of the persona is is divinity in and of itself, in, in, in the sense that um, we're consciousness incarnate, period, end of story. And that consciousness is divine, period, end of story. So we're... We're the the substance itself. We're literally the substance that was there in the beginning, and now we're personifying it. And that freedom, it if we don't have that freedom, then the time to get out of the quagmire slows, because freedom allows you a new tangent, a new paradigm, a new vector, and. For a Western mind to let go of that it can be a challenge. Um, can you talk about how you've come to terms with um, your own divinity, if you will, and how that's changed, how you approach your life? I had to observe my judgments towards myself and others. I had to observe attachments and why I felt that I still needed them. Um, and it is because of the paradigm of what I call small identity. So belief. When you make something a matter of belief, you're either going to believe that something is God or you believe that it's not. So there's really no evidence in that when it comes to belief. And you can't evidence God because you are looking from the head. You're looking from eyes that see externally. You're hearing from ears that hear externally and hear what you think is out there somewhere. So I had to get rid of that concept of blaming and shaming and looking outside of myself, uh, perceiving problems. Because small identity is the issue, and this is what we're taught from the moment we pop out of our mother's womb. We're taught, you know what, here's some education. You know, Well, okay, are you um, studying for... A university or are you studying for a universe? <laughs> you know, what's the difference here? <laughs> you know, a lot. Um, right? Um, so I'm not studying for university. Um, I quit that a long time ago because I realized that it's teaching me a value system that I was attached to as a small identity, who I was going to be was attached to, how what I did and how much money I made. Big identity is free identity because big identity is God identity. A lot of people listening today, they think that big identity, that I'm talking about narcissism or something. Oh, yeah. Um, And I'm not. What I'm talking about is that Jesus came to teach us that we're actually glorious beings. And the only thing that we have done, you know, since uh, his ascension, if you will, his enlightenment, what we've done is continue to shame ourselves and be in further power under power under um, until this lifetime, and in this lifetime, I'm finally seeing humans. I'm here again on Earth, and I'm finally seeing humanity uh, unite and stop judging themselves and go deeper into self-love. So for me, my realization was started with taking an honest assessment of my own shame, how I shame myself, releasing paradigms, and then moving forward to master the body. So what I mean by master the body, I mean yoga. 
I don't mean yoga of the West where people put on some hot yoga pants and look at each other's beehives. Um, <laughs> I mean, you know, yoga in the East is very, very different in a certain sense. Right. You know, y- yoga in other parts of the world means that you are bowing in your own innocence. You are sitting still enough that all of your thoughts cease. So I had to go into what's called self-inquiry. I had to ask the question, who am I? And no one can answer it but me. When I sat in meditation long enough, and when I say long enough, I mean 20 minutes a day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. When I sat there long enough, I began to get a deep answer to that question that is a wordless, thoughtless God answer. When that happened, I began to feel my breath for the first time. I began to breathe very deeply. Um, I began to notice that there was no way that I could be in fear. Fear started to dissipate from my life. There are many things. Uh, that caused me to open up to enlightenment, to realize God. But when you try to go into the head about it, it's just not going to work. That's just further insanity. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Well, I like that. Well, I I like the language of the burning bush or the Bhagavad Gita. Um, I am that I am, or as it is. Like, what the hell do we have to throw symbols at it for? And, Mm -hmm. and, uh, so I I like that. Well, um, so what would you? I mean, on this planet, there's a, a whole lot of people that uh, are are when they when they go to progress in their spiritual journey, they come up across um, repentance and um, um, ask forgiveness from God. I mean, um, how do you look at those paradigms? It depends upon what you mean by the term sin, because what Jesus told me um, specifically and personally is that the definition of sin is merely that you miss the mark. You are out of alignment to your own path of grace. You chose something you wanted to create, and you simply just got off track a little bit. So is that something that if you are creating something in your life and you are walking a straight line, you know, say a cop pulls you over and you've had a little bit too much to drink and, you know, you come on out and you step the line and you step off a little bit, you know, do you think that God is the cop saying, oh, my goodness, you're drunk, let's go, let's go to the station. God isn't that. <laughs> sure. Forgiveness isn't exactly relevant unless you perceive that something's wrong and you only perceive that something's wrong is because you're taught this from this ridiculous, insane cultural programming. Sure. So forgiveness is different, you know, from the God perspective. It means forgiving yourself for the perception of shame, for the perception that you continue to think you're wrong. Right. Forgive others for the perception that they've done something wrong to you. Because in the higher realm, everything is a contract. And I mean everything. And I'm going to ask you, listeners, to go big or go home for a moment. If you don't like it, hang up. I'm asking you to forgive people who you believe who you think have done the worst atrocities. I mean, people like Hitler. <laughs> I mean, people like the person who hurt you physically or sexually, you know, abusers, you know, whatever you want to label them, that when you forgive that act, it doesn't mean you condone it. Forgiveness does not mean condoning harm and something atrocious. But it does mean learning to see behind the shame, behind the pain, behind the suffering, going deeper. Right. Well, you know, I mean, even in these last few days, I've seen um, aspects of my own family dynamic that when it first came across my bow, I felt really kind of, uh, um, I guess, offended or whatever. And and I, I noticed I was having this emotional reaction to it. And and my, the, my family dynamic now is everyone is adults. All my kids are grown up. And I'm looking at the dynamic, and I'm like, now, wait a minute. Everybody here has free agency. And wait a minute. Everybody here has um, kind of a past, if you will, and a, and a way to negotiate the, um, the struggle of being a human on the planet, if you will. And within a few days, I realized that, 
when we have uh, what should we call them, karmic lessons or uh, deep-rooted quagmire in our psyche, sometimes our it seems like our souls chose to make sure we got stirred deep enough in our own persona, it's it's kind of like a calm sea never made a skilled sailor. So the old souls that, that come to planet Earth said, well, any train wrecks available I can incarnate into that'll <laughs> rattle my cage enough to get me to look at my at, at the this paradigm called life. Um, in that dynamic, the scoundrel becomes the teacher. You know, the the person that you're looking to forgive is actually providing you a service in the sense that they're stirring your psyche to show you what to other people are hidden aspects of of who we are. What do you think? Yeah. Everything is innocent. That's one of the first things that I notice about being on this planet, and um, one of the things that both of my masters taught me um, is that you can look upon everything with innocence no matter what, because the soul of that being is innocence. Whatever your contract is with you, every situation that you think is terrible is actually neutral, and you get to decide how it is for you. They decided to say how it happens to you. And then that's going back to the power over power under paradigm, but it is for you, for your learning, for your growth, for your expansion, and ultimately for your return to innocence and love. Right. And it, it seems like those divine beings, uh, um, Jesus um, and, and those types of beings, have nothing but unconditional love for us. And, and so often we can feel like um, there's... There's this template of righteousness, this this cookie-cutter idea that, well, if we all don these same attributes, we're going to find favor. But in truth, all ascended beings, all benevolent beings, have such um, unconditional love for us. So how would you... How would you uh, tell our listeners to um, kind of forgive themselves and and to shake the idea that they ever could have possibly done something wrong. I mean, that sounds like um, such a bold statement that the, the re- religious imprinting would, would flare up and say, well, of course you can do something wrong, otherwise you're going to hell, you know. What would you say to that? you got to start where someone is. Um, for people who really are, you know, pun intended, hell-bent <laughs> on believing <laughs> that there is a hell, <clears throat> you're probably going to create that experience straight away for yourself. But if you don't believe me, play with the ego a little bit, question this, and join the Near-Death Experience Research Society. There's one in Salt Lake City, and I've gone to several of their meetings, and I've had people come back and say, oh, my goodness, yes, there was a hell. But then what happened in the hell was that I realized my power. And God said within me, as me, get yourself out of it. God said, save yourself. It is proven, not hundreds, but thousands and thousands of near-death experiences prove that there's something that you can create if you believe in hell. There's something that you can create if you believe in heaven. And there's a big, long, restful period, space of nothingness if you believe um, in nothing. (laughs) Sure. So... Um, really, it's about belief, and what you choose to believe can be your heaven, it can be your hell, and it can also be your burning desire as a seeker of God within you. So if you take all this belief, and if you go within, and if you make 20 minutes a day to count your breath, and I don't mean one to ten, breathe in, breathe out, and upon every breath in, count to one, and then do it over again. One, one, one. I know it sounds silly, but this is one of the many tools. (laughs) Um, This is called point of focus. And many many yogis call this point of focus. And it is a focused concentration of breath. And I love the word one because to me it means God. And it can get your head out of the way enough to ask yourself a big question. 
And that big identity question is the question, who am I? Okay? And when you're doing that and you're focusing on your breath, and if you just commit for a small amount of time a day for your thoughts to just cease, you're going to know everything. You can't really know enlightenment. You can't. You can talk around it. You can talk about it. But it is never it. (laughs) Sure. And you will not know until you really, you know, get in that car and drive it yourself. Because if your body is the car and knowledge is the driver, your experience cannot happen until you get in it and get behind the wheel. (laughs) And you're going to have many experiences in your spiritual practice of ups and downs and all over the place. But just remember, there's no such concept of sin and near-death experiences uh, have proven it time and time again, researchers. So get out of your head, into your heart, stop trying to master your head, and when you think that I'm wrong about that, ask yourself, is that working in my life? Am I any happier? Um, is this big uh, fancy job making me any more money to bring me closer to God? <laughs> um, does all this <laughs> external stuff that I have really bring me into oneness? Do I really feel whole within myself now? You know, the ego is like this little, like a rat in a hamster cage, just going, going, more and more, more and more and more, and you throw some food in there, and it says, oh, good, let me send some more, and then you give me some more food, and then let me send some more, and then let me give you some more food. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the ego is not qualified to really be the master of the heart. It can only serve it. Sure. The wisdom of the heart just... Uh um, is is so expansive and and dynamic, you know the we were talking about heaven and hell. I mean both heaven and hell exist on the planet today. There's people experiencing both, and yet um, the idea that um, heaven is some kind of a goal, it it seems like um, heaven is a real time now experience that's intended to be experienced in this now, in this moment, in this day. And um, when when you find yourself in that nonverbal um, persona, if you will, that, that uh, knowingness of the truth of yourself, and as you go through your day, how do you, how do you experience um, the multitude of different um, types of interactions with people and animals and, and nature, and how does that relate to the idea of what heaven on earth would look like? In order to even begin to perceive earth as heaven, you have to stop attaching your life to the hell of non-existence. And many may ask, what does that mean? What does non-existent mean? The past doesn't exist. The future isn't in your existence yet. That is the hell. (laughs) The heaven is the now. When I asked Sri Ramana Maharshi and Jesus, which are two of my top masters, you know, what heaven really is, they said it is the moment between time. And I said, give me an example. And I got a flash of my first birthday. And I was sitting there in front of uh, a, a little cake, and I was blonde, this little girl. And I remember all my little curls and, and this beautiful cake. And, and God said, make a wish. And I said, I am the wish. <laughs> and I blew out the candles, which is probably a strange thing. But I remember at one years old saying that I am the wish. I am my deepest miracle. And when you understand that the deepest attachment to the concept of earth being such a prison, earth being such a hell, life being so hard, that deepest attachment is the shackles of the past and the planning for the future. So start there and just observe that that is how you've been programmed. That has to be undone. And the principles that I've mentioned today help you with that great undoing, you know? I like that. It's an unraveling, really. I mean, enlightenment isn't a creation. You don't add stuff to yourself. 
it's a it's a dismantling of everything that's incongruent with the truth of you. And, and my day to day experience of grace is very unique, though. And upon enlightenment, to answer your question, you will notice everything and nothing simultaneously. Everything that is still appears to be in motion, and everything that is in motion appears to be still. When I awakened from my enlightenment experience, I had tears soaking my body. I don't know how long I had been there. I assume it had been days because <laughs> I was extremely hungry. You know, and that was a little bit hard, but in my concept of practical enlightenment, I do have some people that can help with that, and there were some people taking care of my children and understanding that I was in what's called a deep samadhi. So samadhi is a stage of yoga where you become very blissful with God and you just can't, it's everything so beautiful that you can't function for that short amount of time. And there are ways to make samadhi functional, but when I awakened... I did not know what to make of my reality. I looked around, and this is going to be hard to explain. Everything that I saw was me. Everything that I felt was from my heart, even deep down to the cells, the cells and the cell membranes, and both humans and animals looked like me. They had, like, my cellular imprint on them. Faces looked like me. I saw the same, and I felt the same compassion that I experienced towards everything. I felt it coming right back at me. And I fell to my knees and I wept. I spent weeks walking around crying in bliss. Wow. <laughs> and um, it was interesting to manage that as a mom. It really, really was because my children were like, and children are incredibly innocent, and mine especially are very receptive to grace. So they, when you teach your children to be receptive to God's innocence, they go, oh, mom's being God again. Give her some time. <laughs> 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 Again, yeah. Well, I like that. So um, let's uh, let's daydream a little bit, and uh, uh, we're kind of coming out of this uh, karmic quagmire, if you will. And um, if we were to flip it over and and imagine earth where everybody knew the truth of themselves everybody had the christ consciousness um what would the uh what would the purpose of life be the purpose of life outside of dualistic environments is simply to love there is no other purpose and love already exists and is realized and is perfect so there is no purpose other than love. And when we begin to realize that, we create our experience of heaven on earth. I have noticed from having what we call, you, you use the word karma, I like to call it accumulated memory because the word karma has a little bit of a connotation. Sure. <laughs> um, most Americans represent, uh, kind of view karma as something like, oh, no, I did something wrong, so i got to come back to this god-awful, crappy environment and do it all over again. But that's not exactly how it works. Sure. Oh, yeah. Um, when you come here, you choose to come here, and it is an honor to come here. So when you come here, you are actually in something that's similar to what I call a spirit school. You are studying to be a master, a God master. So basically, what do you need? You need a little bit of tools, but the part about this program is kind of tricky. You're choosing to forget that you're a master, even though you've mastered many things, and to remember them again, and to remember and learn them in a whole different way. So this university is a little different. <laughs> so um, in, in other universes and higher realms that are happening in parallel existences, and believe me, that's what it is. Nothing is past. The past doesn't exist. This is like a Fibonacci spiral starting in center and going outwards. There is nothing linear that is true. <laughs> I like that. So, <laughs> I like that so, sentence. Yeah. So basically, you are um, kind of connecting points of consciousness throughout a perception of time. And God is there in between. God is there in the quiet breath of the child. I know as a mother of four that when I hold, when I held my babies, they're bigger now, but when I held them when they were little and they were breathing up against my chest and I noticed their breath 
instantaneously merged with mine. I noticed their heartbeat started to merge with mine and beat at the same tempo as mine. And I noticed that in adults, too, when I hug them, they calm down. I love to hug people. People call me the hugger. You know, that's just kind of what I'm known for. Um, so I walk around, and when I hug people, their breath calms down, their hearts calm down, because they know that I know they're God. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I like that. It's uh, opportunities to experience love. So it's, you know, it's, it's like uh, I have a a notion that if you want to enjoy tomorrow, practice enjoying today. If you want to enjoy next week, practice enjoying today. If you want to enjoy your life, yeah. And and the same thing would go to for love. Like, what do you love about this day? Was it the smell of the coffee in the morning or the 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 cool evening breeze on your skin? It it's it's literally an ocean of of or a hologram of love. And I like what you said. We we forgot, we we disconnected from our master status as masters, and we went into the darkness. And then in that darkness, even the slightest sliver of love is so prominent and obvious. That's interesting that you bring up darkness. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's the uh, spectrum of. Uh, manifestation. If I open a computer laptop and I open a paint program and all the and the screen is white and I choose white for my brush, I can't I can't draw anything. White on white, whoop de doo. So it's like that moment of duality created a canvas. Yeah. And for, why that beautiful and enlightenment is because God comes here in form to see it. Right. Yes. You think about light and the whole concept of, you know, they say that light travels really fast, but I do know something that travels a little bit faster than light. That's darkness. And that is because darkness is everywhere simultaneously, and it has nowhere to go. There's never a race. It's already there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, curious. Well, well, wait a minute now. If darkness has no substance of its own, if I open a box of darkness, I can't double its quantity. There's no substance to it. I Okay, I'm, maybe I'm getting bent out of shape here. You are the light. Well, yeah, you, I, you I, I got light. that. I understand that. Um, you can see the darkness because you are that light. And when you realize you are that light, you see that you're God. See, God wanted to see itself in form. And there's only one thing that can stop light. If I hold up an object to you right now, the only way that you can see it is because light reflects off of it. The only thing that can stop light is form, and God wanted to see itself. So it created us. We created us in order to see our own glory, and we need darkness as a canvas for that. Beautiful. Yeah, exactly. A palette of expression in, in order to to see itself. I like that. Kind of saying the same thing. Hey, um, you know, I want the uh, listening audience to uh, really understand you and your platform and what you have to offer. Can you give us a really thorough front to back about um, how you work with people, one-on-one, over the Internet, if you have um, classes. I mean, just tell us what your platform is and how it's set up for listeners to engage you. Well, I believe that grace should be available for all, and it is, and it's subtle. So this, for me, isn't a matter of money, for one. You can find me in various places simply by Google searching my name, you can pretty much find me everywhere. You can find me at PamelaEarland.com. You can find me on my, um, I call it an inclusive community, my spiritual community. It's online. It's at Patreon.com forward slash PamelaEarland where we teach group classes. You can get individual mentorship sessions at PamelaEarland.com. You can listen to me for free on YouTube if you search my name there. 
You can show up at one of my live events. I mean, you can show up on a love donation only, or if you have nothing, come with a love that is greater than any nothing that you ever think that is, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and don't worry about it. So our next event um, is in November at the Center for Spiritual Living. So you can find that event on PamelaAirland.com if you're curious about it. There are many, many, many ways to oneness. Well, very beautiful. Well, um, so what's what's next for you? I mean, um, when you when you look at your future, do you get inklings of of uh, your role expanding, or do you feel like you've settled into a a role? When I awakened from my 33rd samadhi experience, and again, the samadhi is just the blissful God realization, um, and sometimes it can go up and down, and when you really go into deeper realization, there's no down. (laughs) There's nowhere to go anywhere, right? So after the 33rd samadhi, um, I awakened, and I began to have more expressions with my masters and gurus, and they said, oh, who are you now? (laughs) Right. And I wouldn't answer. I said, "Um, well, I I know nothing. And they said, oh, we're aware that you know nothing because you have to know nothing. God is nothing. God is that deep, dark, blissful experience, the cosmos, the lap of God, the space that holds all the beautiful stars. So we are aware (laughs) that you know that God is the nothingness that is everything. However, what do you want to do? And I said, oh, I I just want to. Share Grace. <laughs> so with that, um, they gave me the title Avatar of Grace. And Avatar is simply God in form. So at that point in time, all of my memories of all of my lifetimes as Avatar um, came flooding through my memory. <laughs> wow. And I cried. I cried some more. And things began to happen. So when I, I don't really, to answer your question, I don't peruse my future. I have no interest in my future. However, now what I've been doing is meeting people to bless them because that's what an avatar does. And when my master said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to bless them with grace. (laughs) So I hug people. I bless people. I have live events for these blessings, and I have live events um, to channel all these lovely masters. I have live events to teach these experiences because I do have specific tips and techniques that are simple and will take no time out of your busy day. It can be practical. It can be easy. Enlightenment is simple. There's nothing complicated about it. So I would perceive that I would continue to just share grace. That's very beautiful. I mean, all of that. Um, Very graceful, too, I must say. Um, Well, I like that. Um, So when... Through your channeling, you talk to uh, so many benevolent beings, and and yet on this planet, there's so many humans that have kind of come up through a religious stigma that have this um, God at arm's length or God out there somewhere, and them as some kind of a um, you know an attendee at a church. Um, do you see a, a repetitive theme as you talk to these different entities as it relates to um, how we can um, see our relationship? I mean, it took for uh, it took forever for humanity to get to this moment. It took. Um, we created this this momentum, if you will, and and here we are being birthed into our freedom. We're being birthed into our truth, and for some people, it it's such a stark um, difference from where they've been living, from from the mindset they've been brought up in. Um, how would you? I mean. How? What would you say to people who who have never even considered the idea of their divinity, or the idea of of them being 
the the person the personification of the divine and that their desires matter and the reason they're here is divinity itself i mean what would you say to them to kind of stretch their consciousness to to help them along the way well the first thing i would say is to observe what is working for you and what isn't and take an honest assessment of where you place your values because if you aren't seeing love in everything, chances are you're seeing death in everything. And then you'll be on a pretty quick track to death. Not just physically, I mean emotionally. What, what was hard for me as a child growing up with all these gifts is that I knew that every single being around me could have access to this. And I knew that if they had it, without really stopping their thoughts and without really getting out of these insane power over, power under uh, paradigms such as religion, politics, um, <clears throat> overworking themselves, uh, and then retiring at age 80, and then basically they wonder why they have very little energy in their bodies left to live. <laughs> right. And I knew instinctively that they could have access to all these gift, gifts, but they could not handle it if they really did not know fundamentally who they are. So observe that the fundamental problem is that you are taught that you are not God. You are taught death from the beginning of your life. Sure. <laughs> and that is insane. So while we don't judge insanity, we simply observe that what we're doing is an insane thing that is no longer working and probably never worked to begin with. So ask yourself an honest question. Is this working for you? Are you completely filled with the ecstasy and joy and love of God? Are you? Because if you're not, um, why not? <laughs> right, yeah, I like that. Well, There doesn't need to be any need to settle for less than joy and bliss and ecstasy and divine graceful celebration. There is no need to settle for anything less than that. I like that. Well, um... Time can go by pretty fast. We're coming to the end of the show, uh, Pamela. I want to I want to just say that um, your persona, your your essence, is is very uh, elegant and graceful, and I I really like the uh, I I think discipline's the wrong word because I think it's effort effortless for you, but. Um, your language is um, is very clean, and I really, I just, I guess I'm saying I'm applauding you for who you are, and the and the essence that you embody. It's uh, I love having guests like you on the show. It it it's such a delight to uh, talk with you during this interview. Thank you. It takes my essence and form. To see and really know your own and I see your essence as pure discernment you have a purity and a wisdom about you that reaches your listeners and I'm thankful for your presence here on this earth we've been talking with Pamela Erilyn and the topic tonight has been practical enlightenment did you like that segment did you like that episode <laughs> I like listening to it again. Now, I want to give you Pamela's website spelled out to make sure you can connect. P-A-M-E-L-A-A-R-A-L-Y-N.com. Um, I love the grace that she had in her demeanor. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. And I love bringing you episodes like this. We've had some insanely powerful episodes lately on the show, and, and it always makes me smile when I can bring the content that makes the difference. The, I, th I think humanity is hungry for the truth in kind of a bold and unapologetic way. And uh, it will be the truth that sets us free. Um, it's always a pleasure for me to bring you episodes like this. Um, we're all here to discover the power 
of the truth. We are masters in truth. And to master the, the essence of why we're here is actually a gift. For you to embody your power is actually a gift. Um, I'm your host, Les Jensen. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. This has been a New Human Living radio broadcast. You can raise your own personal power with Personal Power Fundamentals Home Study Course at NewHumanLiving.com. Thanks for listening.